What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of BDE, Big Digital Energy, here with Chuck Yates, uh, Mr. T, the white version, Mr. T, and Kirk Coburn. <laughs> Kirk, where's your chains at? I, I left them in the car. Okay. <laughs> Didn't want to compete with Chuck. I rolled him, took him. Chuck said that uh, the, the sweatshirt out is, look, the hoodie out's it's out. I think so, man. I think uh, Sam and Fetterman have just totally killed the hoodie. I don't know how I can do it anymore. They usurped my look. Were you here the other day when Anoop, uh, the founder of Pangea Charging, was here? He had a uh, necklace on with uh, the company's logo. He got it from Johnny uh, Dang. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It was actually like way cheaper than I thought. He's like, how much that? He's like, how much do you think it costs? I was like, I don't know, twenty grand. He's like, no, 200 bucks. I was like, damn, I didn't know you could go in there wow. for 200 bucks. Dude, let's do some digital wildcatter bling. Yeah. I want to grill. Can we just yes. go ahead and grill it let's out? Let's grill. I'll I want a frack slap grill. Frack slap grill. That's like, frack. Yeah. Once I have a liquidation event, I'm <laughs> buying a, a blinged out frack slap grill. So, so. so speaking of degenerates, you were <laughs> on a roll about this story this morning, so we'll start it off. So Moore County, North Carolina. 45,000 people don't have power right now because somebody went and shot up a bunch of substations in what appears to be a coordinated terrorist attack of some sort. What say you, Frack Slap? Yeah, there's a conspiracy theory out on the internet that it had something to do with a drag show. Um, a drag show and like mm -hmm. there was a bunch of like public resistance to that and so they're saying is it just coincidence that the substations got shut out i don't think that there's probably any tie there but that's show you how fragile our grid is that someone with a uh you know just a 223 rifle can go and pull critical components and all of a sudden fifty thousand people are without power and it's funny this actually reminds me of a story so i was one time it's actually one of my very first energy podcasts I ever recorded was with the, uh, I believe she was the CFO of Solaris Midstream. And she was just talking about infrastructure safety out in the oil fields, especially pipelines. And she's talking about the damage that they take to pipelines. I'm like, yeah, hey, you have a bunch of rednecks like me that go around shooting them. And she's like, oh, I don't think that happens. I'm like, no, I'm telling you that happens. Like, we <laughs> we do do it. It. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking to someone that did that type of shit when we were kids. So always, um, you know, I think with it being like coordinated on two or three different substations, mm -hmm. I mean, it's malicious. I don't think anyone would, you know, go around to three different sites. Um, the fact that they knew which substations, they, they, the fact that they actually knew what a substation actually is and does and where it is, is means that there was coordination there. Yeah. I mean, there's some element of thinking there that, you know what it is, you know, the location. And so, um, yeah, you see the term being thrown around terrorism, which I do think is terrorism. I mean, 50,000 people Why without not? power. And I imagine weather's like in North Carolina now, but I imagine it's pretty cold. Well, that's, so, the, that's the big thing here. Second order effects, wastewater pumps don't work. That's bad. Water. Traffic lights don't work. That's bad. And people can't heat their houses. They interviewed some guy that was kind of classic on the news. And it's like, what are you doing right now? He goes, man, my house is 55 degrees. I'm eating cold ham. Yeah. <laughs> well, you saw last week here in Houston with the uh, water treatment plant going out due to a power shortage and had a boil water notice for two or three days. Um, just how much terrorism. I, don't I think know. that was incompetence. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't alluding to terrorism. I was just saying like, I just want to throw it out, but <laughs> definitely incompetence for sure. 
you know, it wreaked havoc on the community though. And I mean, that was just losing water. And so a community like, and this, you know what most Houstonians ask is why don't they have a generator? Like, hello, yeah. <laughs> we all have generators. The We're hell, the home man, of the no. energy business. <laughs> I mean, you wait. look at it, HEB, who's by far my favorite company to ever exist. They have their own microgrids that they've started building at their big stores where right. you have these huge net gas, uh, they either have cycle generators, but some of them I think have full-on turbines too. So, yeah, HEB can do this and be prepared for power outages. But our government municipalities, we need aren't. food, man. Well, yep. and Kirk, we used to do this back before Colin and Julie over there. I used to do little wow. video clips to introduce each story, and we used to do something called the underappreciated story. We had this cool little video clip and all, but. Anyway, the, the key with deaths from cold, like when you have a heat wave, people die like the next day, right? Cold causes you, particularly old people, to die, but like in 15 to 30 days. It's not like you sit there and you freeze, but if your house is too cold and it's at 55 degrees instead of you know 68 or whatever for a couple of weeks... Your, your blood flow constricts. It doesn't go to the extremities, which leads to higher blood pressure, which leads to a heart attack. Cold the slow killer. Yeah, cold is the slow killer. So, you know, 15, 30 days from now, if we see some deaths pop up in Moore County, they're not going to get reported. It's not going to be tied together that, that this was a thing, but it is a thing and something we need to watch. Yeah, I retweeted the news article about the substations getting shut out and some rando hang on account on Twitter. It's like, Oh great. Publicly telling people how to, uh, you know, destroy energy infrastructure. I'm like, God, I can't do anything right on Twitter. Without someone <laughs> that's right. At me. That's why Twitter's so good. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what I love it though. Well, there, there are 55,000 substations in the United States. And I saw an article somewhere that I forget what the number was, but it was like, take out 200 of them. You can literally shut down Absolutely. the United States. I mean, it's, it's, if you know exactly the right ones to hit, yeah. you could bring it down and they're just outside. No, I mean, and like, it doesn't cost anything. As yeah. the consumer, One we, bullet's 50 cents. <laughs> we complain about grid stability, but when you think about the business model, my first stock that I ever owned was Houston lighting and power. My grandmother bought it for me and I made some money off that. But the business model for these guys is they make, they take, you know, our payment and they turn around, they invest as little as they can into infrastructure because they're trying to make a profit. Yeah. And I know they're regulated, most of them, except here in Texas and others, a few other places, 13 states. But it's a hard business model because they have a lot of money into the infrastructure unless they're being paid to do it. So yeah. we have a weak infrastructure. Well, it's the same misaligned incentives that you saw in oil and gas with winter storm Yuri. And, you know, people are like, well, oil and gas companies need to weatherize equipment. I'm like, where's the incentive yeah. for them to do that? You're talking about CapEx um, and possibly OpEx increases that go along with that. And they're not paid for it. They're not rewarded for it. And I don't know. Only ExxonMobil over-engineers everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, so Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> completely thinking about systems where you can realign incentives is important. And I think like one easy way to do that, not easy, but one way to start working towards that is dual metering to where, hey, if you love the idea. Yeah, you know, I have solar and battery at my house. I have excess capacity. I can now sell into the grid and get paid 
uh, for that for that energy. And so starting to like rethink how our grid is built and incentivize is probably the UK is doing that now, and it's actually real interesting because in the UK, what they're they're offering a tariff to the consumer that we're going to buy power from you at a guaranteed price. Now, retail electricity providers over there are fighting for what's the highest tariff they'll offer because they'll say one, you know, one uh, retailer will say, I'm going to offer you five pounds, let's say. The other one will say, well, I'm going to offer you six pounds. Well, now they're guaranteed. And what's interesting is when you have this guaranteed tariff, the retailer is legally obligated to buy that power from you, period, which Mm -hmm. has created a lot of risk. And now they're saying, okay, well, we need to offload that risk to someone else. And that's why, at least in the UK, they're trying to figure out, well, how can I allow consumers to trade amongst themselves to regulate my risk, which is interesting. And yeah. I, I've, I've been a big fan of sort of where Europe's, Europe's ahead of us on thinking through this. Yeah. But I've always thought that sort of local energy communities is the way to go. Oh, yeah. And, and, but the problem is the, you know, the, the grid operators and are, are trying to, are slowing it down. Yeah. You need peer to peer networks. We can't, we can't take it. We can't take electricity. The whole grid will shut down. That yeah. That's their testimony before well, any regular that's right. body is, well, well, it'll shut down and no, it won't. You know, on this point, you see like all these smart devices, like a Nest, for example, right. that are smart thermostats. And I love getting on Twitter and you start seeing people bitch anytime that Texas has um, peak demand because all of a sudden their thermostat starts, uh, you know, the AC starts getting turned off and they're like, I didn't authorize <laughs> this. Like, why is my house 75, 77 degrees? But people's behavior would change so much more if you said, hey, we're going to pay you for this. So if you lower your energy consumption, we'll pay. So I think that that's interesting. I think that building out peer-to-peer markets where you can have more verticalized communities. Wrote a whole paper sharing. on this, but yeah, I love another it. day. So the energy another policy subject. draft I did, I had a podcast where I had eight people on and uh, co-hosted it. Was eight people on or eight people listening? Let's get it clear. I here. had eight guests on, so probably six people. <laughs> Ten people total. Yeah. <laughs> Ten people total. I wish I was there. Stacy McDonald and I co-hosted it, and we it was kind of like the Chappelle racial draft. You know, you had one pick. If you were energy czar, what would you do? And uh, Kyrie Baker out of uh, she's a Colorado State, right? She's a professor uh, there. Yeah. Her her pick was exactly that. We need distributed generation, local Absolutely. networks. And uh, that was her save the world thing. So, yeah, the um, have you seen what Tesla's doing out in California, their partnership with PG&E? Have you all seen that with their um, bi-directional power? So you can get if you have the Tesla batteries. Yeah. If you have the Tesla Powerwall at your house, you get the app and then uh, utility company comes and says, hey. Um, it's 11 a.m. right now. We're expecting peak demand at 6 p.m. Uh, we're going to fill up your batteries, mm-hmm. and then at 6 p.m., we're going to draw from them. Right. And we're going to pay you for that energy. Well, I think Tesla, what they they started in Australia with, which they wrote um, some software called Auto an Auto Bidder that auto bids in the market for based on sort of demand, supply, and price of energy, and so. Tesla's offering that to their customers. And I don't know where they're rolling it out, but it sounds like California. That's that to me is a game changer. Yeah, I think so. So, but the biggest thing, like 
you know, we always talk about oil and gas being dinosaurs when it comes to moving. I mean, utilities is like 10x. Hey, when I was at Shell, I I spent a lot of time on this area, and Shell's probably the largest, them and BP are some of the largest traders of electricity in the in the United States. When AutoBidder and Tesla started doing these things, I, I kept raising the alarm, like we have got to get our head in the game here. This is this is going to change, could change, but the problem is in the U.S. is that regulatory we we move really slow regulatorily. Europe's moving a lot faster, which is kind of oxymoronic to some of us, but um, <laughs> we should look at Europe to see what, what's happening, which is my first pro-European plug, isn't it? I know. I've actually gotten I've actually gotten remarks from European friends. I'll just say it in that way, so they show know. my name was that I'm so pessimistic on Europe and so down on Europe, and I'm not. I'm just like vis-a-vis expectations. You know, this brings up another point. I want to talk about BP real quick, unless you got right. something that's like really Lay important. It on. All right, because I like dunking on BP all the time, so he brought them up. Um, did y'all see that they're ending their statistical review, the report that they've done for 70 years? Did y'all see this? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah so, they, you know, you know they, they put out the their world energy facts. They put out their annual energy report. They've done yeah. it for 70, 75 years, and now they're talking about cutting it. And this article was on Reuters, I believe. And this is a quote from one company source. Put simply, the review is bad PR. It doesn't re- it doesn't align with what their messaging is as a company, which the layman's terms is that reality <laughs> in their energy report doesn't align with what they're saying as a, a company, and so um, found that to be very humorous. It was it was very stunning how blunt they were about it. Yeah, yeah no. it's like we can't spend this data. Yeah, so we're just not going to share it with. That's you. exactly what that it was. to me is. I mean, where's the courage in that? There is no courage. And BP has this massive internal Lame. identity crisis where you're like, no, we're not an oil and gas company. We're a renewable energy company, which, hey, if you just want to be energy, like, that's great. But I mean, they have gone, you know, swung to the far side. And it's got to be confusing for all your oil and gas professionals that are in house, like just being treated well, like the redheaded stepchild. Let's do this on courage. Another thing that happened this week is Los Angeles came out and banned oil and gas production. So not future permits, not fracking. They're going into old wells and shutting it down. I guess they're going to go out to 90210 Beverly Hills High School and shut down that well bore that they have. That's right. Literally right on the middle of campus. And, yeah. you know, my, my whole take on that is you want to show some courage? Why don't you ban consumption? Let's this do is, it. You know? If you're not, if, if it's bad, so I worked on it. I worked on this well right in the middle of Los Angeles, and it was so interesting because it was in a suburb uh, called Brea, and my stepmom's family was in town, and they live in Brea, and I'm like, oh, I'm actually going there in two weeks to work on this well. They're like, what? We had no idea that there was an oil field in Los Angeles, and I get there. And this well that I'm working on is on a golf course right at the end of a Sweet. driving range. And so we have this workover rig and all these motherfuckers are hitting. I'd be, balls at I'd us. be trying <laughs> to hit you for sure. Absolutely. And anyways, major intersection, you know, there's a pump jack right in this parking lot of this country club. And it's like, how do these people not know that there's oil field? And then, you know, Brea is literally Spanish for tar. My, I get in my hotel, there's oil derrick paintings, like it's an old oil field town. And then you go out to some of, you know, some parts of LA and it looks like 
uh, Eastern New Mexico, where it's just, I mean, hundreds of those mm-hmm. small little, you know, four foot pump jacks. pump jacks. Yeah. And so it's wild to me that they're saying, Hey, you know, no new permits, which that's understandable, but also just saying that you're going to shut, shut down, it down, shut down. I mean, how do you factor in that risk when operating? And this actually goes to a bigger point. You know, people online say that the feds haven't done anything to shut down oil and gas drilling, like, but it's sentiment. Like you invest all this capital in resources. You want to know that you have a environment that you can operate in and not have something like this happen where all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you can't produce any well, of your current assets. I mean, they're going the way of Germany, which Germany's like, let's shut down coal. And then they're saying, wait a minute, and let's shut down coal and nuclear. <laughs> and let's pay the South Africans not to do coal. Let's and let's pay the South Africans. The, yeah. But let's be dependent on Russia for, for gas. I mean, this is, this is, we all love it. Who doesn't love the environment? So, I'm so- a surfer. I love being outside. I love it. But, What's ridiculous to me is when the government, when California says we'd rather put the environment over the health and well-being of our people, I think that's when the people revolt. Because when they don't have power or or they can't afford power, they're going to be pissed. Well, well, two things. And they're going to die, as we said. One, they're not going to be without, right? To my point, they're not banning consumption. So all they did was push Increasing prices. Yeah, they increased prices. They pushed production to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, all the places, you know, and somehow product uh, pollution and stuff doesn't happen in Venezuela. It only happens in LA. So that's why they're banning this production. But to tell you how crazy it is, the Brea tar pits, we owned some of that field uh, when I was at Kane uh, and we wound up selling it. But when we bought that field, the first thing our CEO wanted to do, because there are pools of oil, everywhere he was like i want to send a vacuum truck out clean up all the oil and the lawyers are like no don't do it don't do it and we're like holy cow what do you mean don't do it and he goes the second you run a vacuum truck over it and clean it up you're admitting that you caused the problem not that it's natural (laughs) seepage so we just can't touch it so there are literally pools of oil out there birds dying in the pool of oil because a lawyer is saying you can't do it that's how crazy how many lawyers do we have listening to this podcast because i don't know Let's be, let's, let's tell them that, come on guys. Yeah. I mean, but the lawyers were right given what the government was saying. I mean, a prosecutor would have hauled you in. And so, I mean, if you look at all the renewable fuel deals, all the plants being built, it's, it's focused primarily on California because Cal, if you're making money, if you're producing oil and gas in California, you have to offset that oil and gas with renewable energy credit. So that's why we have all these renewable fuel deals and, um, going up all around the borders of California because California is saying, look, we're trying to just ban anything that's dirty and bad for the environment. We're trying to ban yeah, it. I mean, renewable natural gas going into California is massive yeah. business and super lucrative right now. But it's interesting, like talking about the regulatory, because that well that I worked mm-hmm. on, I mean, I'm running an expandable casing patch and we're covering a hole that, I mean, it had minimal bleed off on this pressure test for the well oklahoma texas they would have they would have passed that all day and this company spending four hundred thousand dollars to fix this problem on a well that was drilled in i don't know 70s 80s um i was just like i can't imagine that this well makes any amount of volume of oil and so strict regular regulatory environment but to your point 
hey, shut down where we have strict regulatory environment on production and now import our stuff from jungles in uh, South America or wherever it is. You need to get Mike Umbro on the show sometime. Well, you, he can. Great idea. You yeah. know what we actually need to do is can we buy the oil wells for next to nothing since they're going to be shut down? So the answer to that is probably yes. And then I have a fight with the government on takings. You know, you can't take property without uh, remuneration, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, so it's going to be interesting to see what you get paid for shutting in that. Well, oil speaking well. of Mike Umbro, he had a perfect tweet about this the other day because people are getting renewable um, or they're getting carbon credits for not cutting down a forest. Yeah. So this forest exists, you own it. We're not going to cut it down and we get carbon credits. He's like, how long until we start seeing this in oil and gas where people are buying assets, shutting it in and saying, Hey, I get, no, no, that's, that's, that's already happening. That's, that's happening. Already a thing. Mm -hmm. Is that, it happening? That, that's happening. That's happening already. You know, the, at least with carbon credits, what I will say is that's a voluntary exchange. Microsoft says they want to be carbon neutral and they want to go, pay Joe Blow to shut in as wells. Okay. You know, we can agree whether it's a good thing, bad thing, but at least carbon credits are a voluntary transaction. It's when the government starts getting in the middle. Of I, that I've looked at a lot of these deals, by the way. Um, and the regulatory markets have higher pricing, but the challenge is this is the accounting of all accounting. If you want to go look at something that makes no sense, the pricing of carbon credits, number one, it's always local and depending on the environment. So it depends where that those trees or that forest is that someone doesn't want to cut down. We'll, value, we'll put a, you know, an arbitrary price on the carbon credits. That market's still evolving, and I expect it to be 10 years before it makes any sense. But some people, sort of the wildcatters, hopefully will make out pretty well on, the, on misinformation. Yeah, so that's so. There's probably going to be huge like arb market for it, what's our, going on because it's all made up, right? So, um, like who who determines what the price is for voluntary? It's you and me. It's, yeah. <laughs> so we got a great quote. Even if you get paid to shut down the well, there's no way you get paid enough to do that. And that is at least what I have seen in the few deals I've seen that basically shut down monetize the carbon credits and you're getting like a five to 10 percent rate of return mm -hmm. which owning oil and gas is not appropriate even if it's production and we did we talked last week about abandonment and what the cost i mean the 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 cost that hasn't been fully realized so i, I i'm i think that's an interesting what do you think colin because if you shut the well down you still have the environmental impact of that well it's still there yeah. It still could leak. It still could have problems. No, it's still a liability, right? It's a liability. So Sarah Stodgner is going to magically appear right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> and lay it on us, right? If you say, if you zombie say well, zombie well, three times, three times Sarah will, will appear. That's the legend I've heard. On, on this whole idea of carbon credits and carbon sequestration, you know, we've talked about the whales and how important the whales are um, to... Uh, sequestering CO2. Did y'all see this article from Bloomberg that uh, was talking about offshore wind turbine farms killing whales? Yeah. A day. Killing whales. Yeah. yeah. So have you heard of our whale theory? Have I told you that? I, No, but are they running into the power, the, under, the lines underneath? I don't know. I don't have a paid subscription to Bloomberg, so I couldn't <laughs> read it all. 
Bloomberg, <laughs> send us the article. We'll tell people about yeah. it. The good news about podcasts is we can say the same story over and over again. Yeah. Because what I realize is people don't listen to every single one of these. Yeah, I don't remember shit about what we talked about. So I know no one else does. I'm either. a Nantucketer. So whaling, I mean, that whaling so was whale, the... When a whale dies, it has sequestered probably about 33 tons of carbon within it. Even more importantly, about 40% of photosynthesis is because of plankton. Yeah. And the best thing to lead to plankton growth is whale shit. Yeah. yeah. That is the so best wherever you have whales, you have high populations of plankton. And we've decimated the whale uh, population over the last 100 to 200 years, killed 75% of the whales. Unfortunately. So literally, one of our biggest components to the natural uh, CO2 pump, biological pump, like we've decimated them. And so um, it's funny because I made a tweet yesterday. I said, oil is the new oil. And someone's like, you know, like, oh, the whales are ecstatic or whatever. I was like, don't worry. We're still killing them with wind. Can wind we bring turbines. the whales back like we did the wolves? So that's actually what we, Chuck and I spent some brain cells on how we get whales to start fucking and repopulating, essentially. And Can we help I them? asked Jewel if she would record an, an <laughs> album of love songs for whales, and she hasn't spoken to me so since. So we started putting together an idea of an ethical sea world <laughs> and how we could repopulate music. But it sounds like a Stephen Wright. It's not that wild of an idea because you see VCs like Chris Saka's Lower Carbon Ventures funding companies that are growing uh, seaweed farms out in the ocean to be a uh, carbon sink. And it's like, okay, how do we repopulate the oceans with whales and encourage that? And there's got to be, I don't know, there's got to be something there. We, we should kill some brain cells on that. So one other soapbox, and I, you know, I come up with stories so that I can wind you up. You know, the new thing seems to be this artificial intelligence and get it to write your papers for you. I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. Open AI. Open, well, Open AI created it. It's called yeah. Chat GBT. Yeah. GPT-3 is, is the actual model. Yeah. So uh, so I'm like sitting there looking at that. That must use some electricity. Yeah. Um, I actually just tweeted about this before we got on. So that's what people are. Going I didn't back make and it up. My, yeah, I read your tweet. People are going back and <laughs> forth on my comments because the uh, founder of OpenAI, Sam, <laughs> tweeted the other day. He said that their server costs are eye-watering <laughs> for OpenAI right now. And, um, you know, for the past, really the past year, but this has been a topic for the last few years. Everyone's super critical of energy spent on Bitcoin mining. And right. I think that one of the biggest threats to human progress is certain entities, whether it's governments, corporations, or uh, whatever group of people shutting down things like Bitcoin mining or AI because they think that it's a waste of energy and resources. And if we would have that same mindset back in the early 90s, think about what life would be like now if we didn't have the internet. And there was a case for it. You know, a lot of people thought the internet was only good for pornography. They didn't see any useful utility out of the internet. And so as we get in a world where we're doing even more things with computers, I think people have like, they have this in their mind that we've reached peak technology no. and we're just getting started. Right. And the amount of computing power that has to go to these AI apps. I mean, there's literally billion dollar companies that have been built off of, um, computing power that come into oil and gas because they're like, oh, you're doing all of this uh, heavy lifting and seismic interpretation. And they build, I mean, companies off of that idea. And so you look at what AI is going to do for the world. And I mean, this chat 
GPT three is fucking wild. Someone on EFT had a, I think it was GPT two, uh, but and it was me and like ten other people. We were the inputs mm-hmm. for it. It would just read our tweets, and it would spit back out energy tweets. And it wasn't just like it was changing the syntax of our words. It had its own nuance and right. context, and like almost understanding of what it was saying. Like I didn't believe that it was a bot. I was like, there has to be a human behind this. I think it's awesome, but let's go back. I mean, if we didn't have the internet, let's go back to the nineteen the eighties. Yeah, I mean, life wasn't too bad back then because I was alive. <laughs> but let's go. <laughs> let's go back to the world without oil and gas. Yeah, we would be fucked. Mid-18, I mean, literally mid eighteen hundreds. It would uh, suck. So let's yeah. just you know let's put it in perspective. I was on a panel at South by Southwest. I had some oil and gas. This is pre Shell when I was still independent. I had shell and like bp guys and there were protesters yelling and it, it was there's probably 500 people in the audience i just said stop right there listen how many of you have iphones everyone how many of you have ipads computers it was like your need for power continues to go up so all of y'all searching for that next power outlet and you're yelling at oil and gas that provides the power because you're pissed that we're destroying the environment, but you guys are the ones using more power. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Life expectancy was what in 1900? 40, 40 years old, 45 years old, and today it's 75. Now, a lot of that is just getting rid of premature deaths. Of, you know, true, birth, true, true. At the end of the day, basically, each year we're alive, the life expectancy during me and you's lifetime has gone up about two to three months. Yeah, I just you think know, that one so. of the biggest threats to human progress is for the ability for certain entities to say, hey, you can't use energy on this. And actually, my friend Jason Jacobs had a good reply to this. He said, I tend to agree. Curious, though, how do you feel about local communities metering how much people can water their lawns during times of severe drought? Is that also overstepping or are there times when guardrails are warranted? Mm-hmm. It's actually a really interesting talking point because for me, I grew up in the desert. I think lawns are a waste of time and resources. I do not understand why people want green lawns. And I also think water is more precious and not priced properly. That's Uh, the, no, no, you're Jacobs has a great point. I've always thought about this. It's the price of water is not priced effectively because what we do is we abuse the water privilege. When there's a drought, I'm watering at three in the morning. So no one knows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I've always thought about it. If commodities price accordingly, people might not water their lawns because it costs too much. Yeah. I mean, it's like the typical with grass that'll grow with the typical cliche dad going around, turning off, you know, the lights saying, do y'all pay the electricity bill? Like he's cognizant of how much electricity he's using because he has to pay it. So get your dads out there turning off the water. My dad used to keep the house like 62 degrees. I mean, we could hang meat in the Yates house growing up, but somehow it was the light I left on in the bathroom. <laughs> that pissed him off. It caused the electric bill, you know? Yeah. So I was like, come on, dude. I had, a, I had a pretty popular tweet a couple of years ago. I said one of the uh, most effective climate crusaders is dads telling kids to turn off their lights in their room. So doing the Lord's work and curbing energy consumption but Man, always jack the ac the lowest point and we'd wake up with like every all the windows would be fogged up it was awesome <laughs> yeah. so so when i bought my house seven years ago the lady that had owned it before me had had she she had run an event 
uh, business out of it. So wedding receptions and okay, and out of your house. Yeah, I got a cool. It must house. be a you big house, Chuck. Party? It's a, oh, it's a baller house. <laughs> now it's in downtown Richmond, so you got to But it was built in eighteen. You are a baller. Too. Look at but, the chains. Exactly. No, so he's so, the Mister T of Richmond. <laughs> so she had been sick, and she'd been living at her place in Austin or whatever. So the house kind of sitting there doing nothing, right? So anyway, I call HLMP and say, I need to set up electricity. And they look at it and they go, oh, we'll give you all the electricity you want for $500 a month. I'm like, man, that's really cool. So I jacked down my 10,000 square foot house to like 65. Hell degrees. yeah, you did. I have a Tesla, so I'm charging that. And my house is a sim, right? I mean, it just... Does it go, do you hear... I mean, I am, I am like, <laughs> I'm like air conditioning all of downtown Richmond. And so anyway the end of the year i get the letter from hlp call us your contracts up and all this i tell my assistant stacy i'm like just call him and renew it and stacy calls up and says yeah chuck would just like to renew it and the lady's like oh i'm sure that'd be great oh my god we can't do that <laughs> <laughs> she goes is he running a business there what is he doing i want to but exactly. we don't want to talk about that like a illegal water well or something oh, like god, this, this is great so the other thing that happens is is you know, the inspection report basically said you have a lot that has a tender box on it. I mean, it's going to go up in flames any moment. So I had to change out all the electrical. So we're doing that. The guy goes out to the to the switch, turns it off, gets shocked inside the house, figures out Jackie was stealing electricity around the meter. And that was number one. And uh, so anyway, that was probably part of the issue. The other thing is my sprinkler system is running off this water well that's out in the backyard and not your talking, not their problem well i'm talking to the mayor it's your well you know, small small town i'm talking to the mayor and i'm like hey mayor what do i do i think i have an illegal water well in my backyard and she goes well you sure as hell don't tell me about it that's right. Like, right sure thing evelyn didn't mean it but plausible deniability now you you're covered now i'm covered uh, hey, one other thing before we uh, do finger of the week, I found this interesting and I don't know that I really have a good take on it, but Wall Street Journal just ran an article kind of showing a graph and I forget maybe the last three months or so energy stocks have continued to go up, but the commodities fallen off. Mm. So there's kind of this bifurcation and usually for whatever reason, oil and gas companies, right. the near month are like this. Yeah, and because uh, oil and gas companies make more money when commodity prices are high, and they make less money when commodity yeah. prices are low. I mean, it makes and, sense, but right? The, the dummy being the master of the obvious here had to but, say it <laughs> for those of you out there that, that don't know economics. The, the dumb part of that is the duration of the cash flows of an oil and gas company. If you told me it traded on the four-year strip, I might say, "Oh, okay, well that makes a lot more sense." But right. it's always traded on the near month. But they've uh, they've diverted. So I, I called around, and some stories I got or I heard were one: people are believing the energy story; it's not going away. Capital discipline's reigning, so people are actually willing to own the stocks now. And they say, "Hey, 75, 85, whatever, still going to be profitable." I think there's probably an element of, you know, the last couple of months of the year. If you're an index, if you're a fund of some sort, you got to report your quarterly holdings. You want to re report that you own winners, right? So right. people are buying energy stocks because that's been the best performer. I think energy's up, what, 65% this year, about. So I think it may be window dressing. Let's go sell the tech losers and put energy in there so we at least look good at the end of the quarter. But yeah, 
So the market's betting on expectations versus true pricing. They're saying that, hey, we're feeling bullish about, or we want to feel bullish about oil and gas stocks, so yeah. we're going to keep those high. Well, I think it's interesting that it has tracked oil prices historically, but it's not like, if you want direct exposure to oil and gas prices, investing in EMPs isn't really great because there's so many different factors, operational efficiency, what is their hedge mm -hmm. book? They I all mean, hedge, yeah. Yeah, and so it shouldn't track oil prices um, in theory, but it always has, and so... I don't know. You know if, what's uh, part of that is you can go out and trade on the NYMEX. And I mean, I'm a high net worth guy over at, at Morgan Stanley. They would not let me have a NYMEX trading account. Yeah. And I ran a private equity fund in oil and gas for 20 years. They finally let me. But it is not easy to just get no, no. a NYMEX trading account. No. Yeah. Know? Someone called me out on that on leverage. Twitter. It's like, if you're so bullish, it was like when I think it's like when I had my Justin Bieber call of $200 oil. Like, if you're so bullish, why don't you go long on futures? I'm like, one, I don't fucking know how. I'm not, that's not my skill set. <laughs> Two, they won't let me, uh, even if I wanted to. And I was like, three, I already got so much exposure to that through digital wildcatters. Like, yeah. I am long on energy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and, and anyway, that's something to watch. And maybe we can get, maybe we can get, uh, Mark Meyer in here, Pickering in here, Brad Olson in here to talk more about that. Yeah. Because yeah, I think, great idea. yeah, the decoupling of, Stock prices with energy prices will be something to watch. Do we have a uh, finger of the week? Is that we where do, we're at? We do have a finger of the week. Here we go. All right. All right, this is Kirk's finger of the week, so Kirk, lay it on us. Indonesia just banned sex outside of marriage. So the largest uh, Muslim popping country <laughs> in the world has banned sex outside of marriage, which includes foreigners. So wow. for those of you that want to take your girlfriends to Indonesia, beware. Dude, is that so, a real thing? Like, you go there and you're not married. And you have, like, I'm interested in this. <laughs> I'm probably more interested in this. Don't go there, I think is what no, we're saying. I'm interested in the second order of effects because, you know, what constitutes marriage in the first, like, is Indonesia, is, is, there, is their idea of marriage the same as Good question. Americans? Ooh. So, like, who dictates? Could a gay couple. I mean, are they technically yeah. married in, in the eyes yeah. of the Indonesians? That's a good point. That's why I give them a finger of the week. I need to know before I go. That's... So <laughs> we, need to, we need to get to the bottom of this. Hey, Julie, I'm not even going to ask why Colin needs to know that. I don't that's... judge. Whatever y'all do in your off time. I take in as much information me. to keep myself that's out of a spot. Me. I've never been to Indonesia. I just but... know when I'm drunk in Vegas and grab the cocktail waitress, <laughs> Indonesia's not on me. Hey, sweetie, let's run away. All right. That. So Indonesia got the uh, finger of the week. I wasn't, I didn't know who it was this week. I wasn't expecting that. So that was a, uh, that was a barn burner. I like that one. All right. I think that wraps up the show. And <laughs> on, on that note, guys like the show, guys and girls, if you like the show, please share it with a friend, uh, share it on LinkedIn, share a YouTube link, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you're on. Subscribe. And subscribe to us. All the, all the, 
All the things you do for podcasts you like. Help us out with that. And we will catch you all next week, 10.30 a.m. Central. I don't think Chuck will be here. Maybe Kirk will be. But I'll be here. We'll catch you. And I think Mark Myers is in for sure next week. All right. Me, Mark, and Kirk. Kirk. I'm in.